This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who thinks Donald Trump only likes trade wars because his hands are too small to win a thumb war, but in my spare time, I'm just a reporter, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power, change, and the people you need to know around the tech industry. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Gary Cohn, the former chief economic advisor to President Trump. Before that, he was better known for being president and chief operating officer of Goldman Sachs from 2006 to 2017. Also, perhaps, for people who don't know this, he's also a registered Democrat. Anyway, Gary, welcome to Recode Decode. Gary, thank you so much for having me. I'm Good. excited to be I have, here. We have so much to talk about. And I know you don't want to talk too much about Trump. We are, at the end, going to talk about your, your tenure there. But let's talk about what you're, we just talked about, which is a really interesting conversation about a new thing. You haven't—since you left the Trump—when did you leave the Trump administration? It seems uh, like 100 years ago. <laughs> uh, April of 18. After the tax, after the yeah, tax, yeah, after, after okay, eighteen. Yeah, April so, 18. you, what have you been doing since then? What have you been up to? So, I've been doing a lot of stuff, which has been great. Um, so, let me let me take you through a few things. So, okay. I've been out publicly speaking mm-hmm. a bit, which has been quite enjoyable. So, right. I, it's allowed me to stay in front of a business community, CEO community. Um, last spring semester, Senator Heiderkamp and I taught a course at Harvard mm-hmm. um, in the Kennedy School on policy, right. which was very very interesting. So, her and I. Went went through the major policy issues facing the United States today. Right. Um, did you ta- run into Sean Spicer? Uh, we did not run okay, into Sean right, Spicer. Okay, all right, keep going. All right. You know, talked about the major policy issues every week. We, sure. we, we took a big issue and really dissected it from a factual basis. Big issues from, what, taxes? Oh, yeah, taxes, yeah. Trade, 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 immigration, right. debt and deficit, mm-hmm. Social Security, mm-hmm. aging population, you know, the really— tough issues that neither of us felt Washington wanted to deal with. Mm-hmm. So Heidi and I went in and we sort of spent the first part of the, the, the session laying out the facts, mm-hmm. which I think the, the students um, at Harvard were enamored or, or sometimes flabbergasted to see what the actual facts were. Right. Um, and then we had a discussion about the facts. And then we ended our class with a sort of long period discussion on solutions right. for these topics. Sure. And, you know, what you find is the solutions are not that difficult. Mm-hmm. A lot of these problems can be solved if they need to be solved or want to be solved. And, you know, I think it led most of the, the, the people that were coming to our class to feel frustrated by Washington and what was going right. on and the lack of progress going forward. So I did that. 
Um, I've also been building myself a bit of a venture capital portfolio. Right, so that's what I've been and, hearing. And, yeah, 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 a bit of a venture capital Sil- portfolio. Wandering around Silicon Valley. Yeah, I'm, I don't know if I'm wandering. No, but, I know. Yeah. But, <laughs> I hope I'm not wandering. So Gary Cohen again. Yeah, like, so I'm, I'm out there? in Silicon Valley, but I'm not just in Silicon Valley. And I, I, I would characterize my portfolio to have sort of two main characteristics. Mm-hmm. Number one, I'm doing a bunch of stuff in med tech. Mm-hmm. So not into the chemistry, but right. in the technology right. okay. of what's going on in medicine, um, in the operating room. I've got a great company in Cleveland where I'm from mm-hmm. that we're trying to make a lot of the wired and tethered devices in the operating room um, untethered and wireless, mm-hmm. which we think will really have a dramatic impact. So I'm doing Give me things, an example things like of that. So look, if you think about uh, minimally invasive surgery that's been going on in, in this country for a long, long time. So laparoscopic surgery. Laparoscopic right. s- surgery. So when you do a laparoscopic surgery today, in the operating room where they do that surgery, there's a, a large tower. Mm-hmm. That tower has a fiber optic light generator, mm-hmm. which generates the light that is attached to a device that puts the light inside your body. Mm-hmm. That light is needed to go inside your body because that same device has a camera in it. Right. That camera takes a picture of what's going on inside your body. To get that picture out of your body, there's a video cable going that, back yeah, to that told, same... I've had the surgery. Yeah. Three or four yeah. things coming okay. in out we've of my We've all seen button. them. We've all seen them. And there's a video... So mm-hmm. there's a video camera cable going back with that. So think about in this day and age that you still are tethered to a big stack of electronic devices to get a light and a camera image out of your body and how that hinders a surgeon working in, in, in you. Mm-hmm. We have a company in Cleveland, and we're very close to delivering a product where we can make that device wireless and handheld, mm-hmm. much lighter, more maneuverable, and it basically just throws the image onto the screen just wirelessly the way— Right, it's like we're sticking you, a cell phone up. Right. Ba- basically, <laughs> we've, we've, we've yeah. got a battery— powered device Mm -hmm. that puts a light inside the body that takes a video camera and instantly transmits the Mm -hmm. video image up to the screen. Now, when I talk to you about that, that sounds like, okay, that's kind of obvious. But guess what? No one's done it. So med tech. 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 And what else? And the other field that I would would characterize myself in is I, I, I really started in this whole cybersecurity intelligence space. Because mm-hmm. when I left Washington, it was the area that was the most intriguing to me mm-hmm. and the area where I thought that the private sector could really come in and provide some insight and some leadership. So I've gotten involved in in quite a few different companies that are in the, in some way or shape or form, in the cybersecurity mm-hmm. um, technology space. It does also lead you, it's interesting, into the payment payment technology right. space. They, they sort of munge together. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll be the, the first one to tell you that there's the two most crowded spaces in America are the food delivery space and the payment space. Right. Everyone's trying to figure out the food delivery space and the payment space. Right. So it's nothing new to say I'm in the payment space. Right, but FinTech but is I'm, the, the I'm hotter, in yeah. the payment space, I think, in a different way than other people are looking had at you, it. When you were at Goldman, had you uh, focused on that? I never really had focused on the on, right. on the payment space. So, you know, when I left Goldman, we were just starting to have the discussions mm-hmm. um, about the retail credit card. They were just starting to have the discussions with Apple about the mm-hmm. Apple card um, and going down that path. So I had really left, you know, three years ago, and that was really when they made the bigger turn. We, we'd started Marcus, mm-hmm. and Marcus was— Explain what Marcus is for people. So Marcus is the retail bank of Goldman Sachs, started out as a digital loan origination right. platform. Right. They're sort of trying to so far— Yeah, 
it's a, it's, it's, it's a, exactly. It's a competition with SoFi, but very retail oriented, very digitally oriented, mm-hmm. very fintechy millennials. millennials. So we had hired all the people for Marcus. We were spending a lot of money building out the backbone and infrastructure. And we were also acquiring retail deposit bases because to fund those retail loans, you need a retail deposit base. Sure. And we were heading down that path. But that's about when I left. Right. And then when you're in government, you had a lot of, but cybersecurity is different than that, than payments. I mean, obviously they're related. They're related because they, the whole problem is it's like a sieve. You know, these payments systems are so sieve-like when you apply them to a mobile device. So I would not have realized how related they are. Mm -hmm. So when I left the government, you know, I was much more concerned about data and communications security. So, you know, how and where can you have secure communications? How and where can you read secure documents? Mm -hmm. What is the vulnerability of taking a digital device with you anywhere in the world into a meeting? What meetings can you take a digital device into? Mm -hmm. Anyone who spent any time around Washington knows that you really can't take a cellular device into any meeting where anything of substance is being talked about uh, because, you know, they can hack the microphone and listen to the meeting. Mm -hmm. They can hack the speaker. Mm -hmm. They can hack the camera and see where everyone's sitting. And literally, you know, in your first week in Washington, everyone makes sure you see a couple of those demonstrations where they invite right. a couple of tech guys into the uh, into the room. And, and while they're in the room, they're they're hacking and, and they don't tell you to leave your phones in the hall. They're hacking right. your phones. Right. So literally they're 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 showing you on the big screen what you're doing on your phone or they're they're see, you're seeing your face on the phone because they've opened your camera mm-hmm. and they're filming you while you think you're just looking at your phone. So you this? very quickly learn they do how like a little thing vulnerable. like it's, they do this. Oh yeah they do Donald that. Trump missed that one. <laughs> they well, they, they definitely do the scare tactics. Right, and yeah. I think I think Scared in my first straight. six months in Washington, yeah. I saw that three times. Right. So by the third time, you know not to pick up your cell right. phone while and, they're and, doing and it. The, and the stuff they use is, and it, they don't. They, you don't get to use remote communications when you're in those facilities. Yes. So in those facilities, you do not get to use cellular devices. Mm-hmm. Um, and the government is very um, keen on making sure that there is a unsecured communications network and a secure communication network. Mm-hmm. And the secure communication network today is still hardwired. It's it's largely insecure. I would have to say I, I'm only to bring my phone almost everywhere when I go to. The only place was the White House. Incredibly, I was invited into the Trump White House. I don't know how that happened, but you have to leave the phone outside. Yes, it, obviously everybody does for all kinds of reasons. But um, but in general, when I visit most congressional things, yeah. there's no security whatsoever. No. Inside the Capitol, you can right. take your phone anywhere you right. want. Right. Inside most government agency mm-hmm. buildings, you can so take your phone anywhere you, you want. This idea. No, but inside the White House, in the East Wing, West Wing, right. OMB, every time you walk down the hall, you will see a phone box outside of every room. Right. It intrigued me that we're now— and, the, and then you go in and use— hardened areas, like whether it's a phone, whether it's an email system, whether it's another kind of communication system. So you have to go to places. Two places, right. Right. So if you you were on the secure email server, you would have a separate desktop. You would Mm -hmm. have one unsecure email system and one secure. So you were seeing this while you were in the West Wing. And I'm saying, look, this is the United States, Mm -hmm. 2018. Mm -hmm. There has to be better ways to do this. And Understanding the government, the government is a acquirer of -hmm. technology. They're not a developer of technology. Right. So I said, look, having seen it from the inside and having, you know, the knowledge of a little bit of Silicon Valley, a little bit of the government, why don't I see what's out there and see where I can get involved and try and drive innovation Mm -hmm. that will be good for the government? And, And what I also know, and I think most people know this, 
if it's good for the government, it's probably good for the private sector. The mm-hmm. government has heightened awareness, right. so they tend to get to things first or they tend to be more aware about it. But if, if, it, if it's that essential for the, for the government to have it, it's probably essential for a and, lot of other people. And there's a notorious story after notorious story of things being hacked all over the place, you know, via these insecure systems. Because oh, yeah. government workers, people don't realize it, they, BlackBerry used to be the answer for a lot of people. And that's even hackable, although that was yes. less hackable than Android. And, yes. and uh, so now, essentially, government workers carry either Android phones or Apple phones, pretty much. Yeah, that is what the That's government issues to you. To. You, right. you get an, an Android phone or you get an Apple phone, mm-hmm. but the government itself knows that you should not take those into the vast majority but of places But you also you load them up with other, with commercial products that you, you tend to, you're not um, supposed to. You're but not you, supposed yeah, to. Yeah, but people do. People, and, like, it, and same thing with corporations. Yeah, no, no. Right. It's, it's the same thing with corporations, Right, yes. it's the same. It's, so, it's, it's, it's hard. So, so you've gotten into this area. Yeah. Oh, talk about this a little bit. Right. So so I, I have spent a, a bunch of time in this area. It's mm-hmm. been fascinating to me. And the one company that I'm probably spending, not probably, the one company I'm spending the most time with mm-hmm. is a company called Hoyos Industries, where they have created the technology by using some existing technology and matching it with some new software that they've created, mm-hmm. where they believe they have created a security phone, an mm-hmm. impenetrable phone. And they have mobile a, phone. A mobile phone. That is not Mo- followed around with a government a, official behind you. Like not followed around the government right. official behind mm-hmm. you. A cellular device, mm-hmm. mobile device the size of that looks like any other cell phone that mm-hmm. you would have that has the capability of loading every app you want to load on it. Mm-hmm. But they have created a secure zone in their cellular phone mm-hmm. where they can protect your speaker your microphone, your your camera, uh, and your texting, and, and potentially your emailing if you stay on their system. Right. Now, if you load other apps on that phone, if you whatever your favorite doing, apps are, yeah. um, if you're doing Gmail, or yeah, whatever. or even if you're if, if you're doing Facebook or you're mm-hmm. loading Uber or mm-hmm. you're loading any of the apps that you use, those will be fully 100 percent functional. They mm-hmm. just won't be in the secure zone. Right. So we we have spent an enormous amount of time on this phone, developing this phone, um, running it through its it, the rigor of making sure it, it, it is as secure as we think it is. Mm-hmm. We are using existing technology that the U.S. government and some of our allies have used to protect nuclear weapon systems for many decades. That's the mm-hmm. technology that we have that protects it. We have an exclusive right to use that. What's it called? Um, it, it's Integrity. It's mm-hmm. called Integrity. And it's a company called Green Hill mm-hmm. who's in, in, invented the Integrity system. We have an exclusive right to use integrity um, on the mobile device. Um, We've incorporated that, and now we've incorporated the software into the phone that now compartmentalizes the phone. Mm -hmm. And so we're very excited about the opportunity of creating an impenetrable phone for those specific for, for, those for government things. workers, for government well, or people I don't, in national I don't think security. it's just government workers. No, we'll get to that. But okay. the idea is you want to protect their voice. You want to protect their uh, the, pho- the photography on it. Uh, that, yes. And you also want to protect texting yes. and things like that. Because so, people, are, people are interchangeably – I mean, there's been, again, example after example of people interchangeably using these things. Yeah. So, so look, in, in, in the reality of the world today – we have many people working for the United States trying to protect the United States and make us safer. Mm-hmm. They are learning things on a real-time basis. 
And today, they cannot communicate them on a real-time basis. They mm-hmm. have to go back to secure places, secure locations uh, to be able to co- communicate mm-hmm. in a secure fashion. We believe we've created a secure device where they can instantaneously communicate back the information. And the quicker they can get the information back into the system in a secure way, the safer we are as a country. And, right. I, and I believe that's very, very important And so this phone us. is coming out next year? This phone will be out in the first half of, of, of next year. Mm-hmm. Um, we will initially We'll be working with governments and the U.S. government and allied governments around the world to to distribute it and and put it out. But we do also believe there is a very large private sector demand for the product, and the demand will just continue to to grow. Bankers. Bankers, lawyers, lawyers, reporters. Well, maybe reporters. No, definitely. Okay, definitely reporters, so no one can scoop your story. Mm -hmm. Um, Or steal information. Reporters, consultants, people in Mm -hmm. the pharmaceutical industry, anyone that's talking about sort of non-public information. Mm-hmm. that they're worried if it gets in the hands of someone else would be bad for them. Mm-hmm. And I think as companies and boards try and ensure more of their sort of um, digital, digital assets versus mm-hmm. their tangible assets, mm-hmm. that the insurance companies, knowing that this product is out there, are probably going to say, look, if you're using this product, our ability to insure you is, is easier than if you're not using this product. And as we get talking about more about our wallet, we're, we're, we're spending a lot of time in the insurable space. Space. All right, we we'll get to the wall in a second. Is, but the important. idea is, I mean, it, when you're talking about insurance, is insurance people, they guarantee buildings or you have to have fire fire yeah. devices and things like that. But in the, in this space, to pro- that what's becoming more valuable are digital assets. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Digital assets. Digital information. Intellectual property. Um, spoken communication, you know, knowledge base. Why hasn't Android, uh, Google, or Apple been? They've tried these things, and BlackBerry obviously went, uh, you know, belly yeah. up. I think everyone has tried to make their device more secure. Sure. A to get into. Right. You know, look. If you think about the evolution of the phone, mm-hmm. you know, we went to my first cell phone and probably many others was a, a shoebox. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, you needed yep. your own your, your own suitcase to, to, yeah, to carry it around. So you went from the, the mega shoebox phone, and then finally we worked on getting it smaller and smaller. So we went to what, the flip phone. Mm-hmm. So we were all very excited. We had the flip phone, but mm-hmm. it still had no security on it. Then we go to the smartphone, and the smartphone does have either a, a number pad or a fingerprint or a face print on it. But... Now we've got to evolve to the secure phone. Now we're going to evolve to the secure phone. The most secure phone right now would be the iPhone, right? Because it's encrypted. But it's, you know, It's, it's on a network. Many of us know that you can fairly easily get into any of these secure devices. Mm-hmm. Um, B, it's on a network. And C, there's nothing in there outside of third-party software that's really protecting you from getting malware or mm-hmm. someone breaking into your phone. Right. Or and, taking and, it. And, and, or, or taking it. Yeah. Or taking it. I was somewhere the other day, they're like, you can leave your stuff here. I'm like, no. No. There's a Russian <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I'm going to leave it anywhere. Yeah. So, so we do believe that the future of mobile communication is in a, secu- and, is and in it, a secure And way. then it's biometrically linked to you. It is so biometrically. Talk, really, talk about yes. that because, you know, people have worried. I've talked a lot about uh, facial recognition and biometrics and the danger of those. So it would be just biometrically with right. you. So, which yes. Which Apple started doing with their fingerprint and then their eye, their facial recognition. Google has that. Yeah. And, and look, we are extending um, biometrics to the next level of sophistication. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that we can be as secure as we are. Mm-hmm. You know, look, the fingerprint has, you know, sort of 30 points of recognition. Mm-hmm. We know that the eye, the iris, is the best single 
point of recognition. Mm -hmm. But we also know that the eye and using it as a biometric has a lot of limitations based on light. It doesn't work in the dark. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't work when it's too bright. And, and the iris has a lot of limitations to it. So we have developed something which we call mono, which is basically a way to use the camera on your phone to take a picture of your four fingers. We instantly take a picture of your four fingers. Mm -hmm. We can recognize a lot of different characteristics. We get over 200 50 reference points. Mm -hmm. And during that picture, we can also tell capillary blood flow in your fingers. Mm -hmm. So we have a... So we know it's a live person we know it's versus a, live a person. fake. So we, we know your four fingers are attached. We know there's blood flow in it. And we know those four fingers are yours. We also register those four fingers to you. And we register them to your face. And we register them to your iris. So you can't be impersonated anyway. And then we've got a unique way of breaking up that data into multiple different servers. Mm -hmm. So even if you were to hack into one server, they, you would only get about a third of your biometric sure. information. Sure. You'd actually have to hack into three different servers right. and then hack your phone and then hack your biometrics, which so far, knock on wood, no one's been able to do, even mm -hmm. though we've created incentives for people to go out there and be able to hack in this system. Right. We've created financial rewards for people. We've paid independent companies to try right. and hack in. Right. And so, so far, we've had the ability not to have this, this hacked into on our biometrics. So not only is our phone secure, the ability to get into our phone is very secure. It's hard. Okay. Yeah. And then you're also moving into wallets, which we're going right. to talk about in the next section because that's an extension of having this secure phone, which is another area you've been in finance for a long time. We're here with Gary Cohen, the former e chief economic advisor to President Trump. He was also a top executive at Goldman Sachs. And we're going to take a quick break now. When we get back, we're going to talk about wallets and financial, uh, financial information. And it's kind of interesting because right now, Mark Zuckerberg is appearing on Capitol Hill. I think <laughs> He's in the middle of it. It could go on for five hours. Um, and we're going to talk about that and more when we get back with Gary Cohn. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. We're here with Gary Cohn, the former chief economic advisor to President Trump. He's also a very well-known banker. He was at Goldman Sachs for years, and now he's moved into secure communications with phones, but also wallets and financial tech. This is an area you worked in. The phone also accompanies a wallet that could be put on any device, correct? Right. Well, our phone itself, to secure your communications, you mm -hmm. need our phone. Mm -hmm. To have a secure digital wallet, 
that is a downloadable app that you could put mm-hmm. on any existing phone. Right. You will need to you will need to put our biometrics on, but like I said, our biometrics works simply with the back camera on the phone. It works with any of the phones, mm-hmm. and then you could have a secure digital wallet on your phone. It's not always secure; it's an insured secure digital so wallet. So payments, you're getting into payments. We're getting it? into payments. We're getting into safekeeping. We're getting right. into custodial. So why business. this? Because there's a million people right now. I, I Facebook's agree. doing Libra. There's we got a million. There's just a million version of, so, of financial tech and. Wallets and so, apples and wallets. Everything. So, look, the really interesting question. And, and, and you're right. I said it's the two most crowded industries in the United States is payment. <laughs> Payments is one of them. <laughs> the United States is significantly behind the vast majority of the world in where we are in payments. And Mm -hmm. if you look at what's going on in China and emerging markets, they have really gone to a digital payment system. They've tried to go to a cashless society. They've tried to integrate payments and retail and merchandise Mm -hmm. and delivery all into one company. They've tried to make it as seamless for the consumer as as we have. Yeah, Alibaba would be Tencent. They'd Mm -hmm. all be good examples of that. In the United States, we have not really had any traction in digital wallets. Mm-hmm. Yes, we've had some traction on peer-to-peer where you know Venmo kids kid, kids will go out and split a dinner check and they'll digitally transfer money to each other. But you can't really go into a retail establishment and use a digital payment system. And I think the well, reason— Apple has, you know, has tried with their card. They're, tr- or, they're trying it's still with, a credit card-based system. Look, your Apple—my app, my Apple Pay is I click on one of my, and I choose my credit card, and it just yeah. it, it's basically an electronic interface to my credit card. Card. Right. It's not a digital payment system. It's just a different way. It's me, me not reaching for my plastic. It's me reaching for my iPhone. But it ends up coming through on my credit card statement. So the reason I think we have lacked behind— By the way, I don't link my bank into it. I don't no. put my banker because I don't trust it because that's where the real money is. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You know, and they're going to steal And you know gonna, that the credit card company— None com- of my payment systems has my bank. And the reason you do yeah. that is because you know the credit card company will protect you against right. fraudulent charges. Right. And you know you've got protection. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree with you. So we're trying to solve that exact problem. So in our digital wallet, number one, the reason we think that that the digital wallet hasn't cut, caught on the United States is it looks more like a banking application. Mm-hmm. And to be a banking application, you know, banks are required to have anti-money laundering. Mm-hmm. They're required to know their customer. They're required to Not, have an no audit. anonymousness. Yeah. They're required to have an audit trail. Mm-hmm. We have incorporated all those things into our wallet. We have KYC. We have AML. We have audit trail. Mm-hmm. So that is very important. So it looks like a normal banking transaction from a bank or a financial institution. Number two, you you and I were just talking about the risk of attaching your bank to a, a payment system. We have an insurance policy. We have, a, and, and, and we almost think about this the way people would think about FDIC insurance. Mm-hmm. OXA, one of the major insurance companies in the world, has written us a policy that basically says that anyone that loses any financial asset in our wallet because it gets hacked into or stolen, they will replace up to a million dollars per wallet. So we have a million dollars insurance per wallet. So you now would be more comfortable leaving money in your wallet knowing that you have insurance. So are you to essentially it. becoming a bank or do you have to partner with Well, we're banks? not going to become a bank. Right. We do we do not want to be in the banking business. This is any asset, by the way. It's any it's any asset. The unique, it's, it's another unique thing about our wallet right. is we can take any asset. We can take fiat currency, we can take crypto. Currency, we can take any real asset that exists right mm-hmm. now. So we we do not want to become a bank. We want to become a technology provider and partner with 
um, a bank or financial institutions or payment service companies that want to digitize the payment system and make it more efficient for their clients and, and their end users. So mm-hmm. our bank, digital, our, our, our wallet, excuse me, moves money real time and efficiently from point to point. Mm-hmm. And that's what we think is important. So we do it with all the biometrics. So mm-hmm. you're locked in on the biometrics. And because we've got such great biometrics, we've been able to get the insurance. We provide the backbone that regulators would need mm-hmm. on that side. We run this in a in what's called a hot basis. So it's running real time. We're not batch feeding at the end of the day. Right. Sure. So there's no risk that someone will try a financial transaction that, that the money's not there or can't clear. So we're really running real time all day. And most importantly, for me, we're not in the business of my, uh, of data mining. Right. We're in the business of making payments easier. In fact, we call it FIPS, mm-hmm. which is, is is basically frictionless instant payment system. Mm-hmm. So we want to be in the frictionless instant payment system. We don't care where you spend your money. We don't care how you spend your money. We don't care um, why so, you spend your money. So compa- and we're not selling that data. Right. We're not even we're not data so mining. Talk about the comparison versus Apple just recently with Goldman Sachs credit card. They're not selling the data, but Goldman, the, the credit card company might be in some way. Well, they're, they're definitely accumulating right. the data. Right, right. I mean, so, you know, it's it, it's very interesting to watch what Apple's doing. And I understand they're trying to create their own unique wallet. Mm-hmm. So you use the card, you get Apple cash back. Mm-hmm. But every charge in that system comes through with with a with a with a um, geographic location to where you actually it says if you dispute the charge, click on it, and it'll show you exactly where you were, a map, what time you were there. Yes, it does. So to me, picture of me buying it. That is sort of data mining to Mm -hmm. where your travel patterns are, where you shop, what time you shop, Mm -hmm. where you're going. Right. To me, that's. That's well, a composition no, of a large There's no plan. ad coming on the end of it that, as opposed uh, to, say, a Google or well, something. Well, look, I don't know where it's going, but I think it's been about two months. Mm-hmm. They've had that credit, two or three months. Right, right. But if I were clever and I had that data and I knew that you showed up every Thursday at noon mm-hmm. somewhere to buy something— I'd probably use that data to just offer it to deliver to your house at some point. My view is, based on everything I've seen so far Mm -hmm. in these sort of data collection, financial services, um, non-financial technology companies, the data— is as valuable as right, anything. Right, right, and Apple's the purest of them. But you're right; you're 100 percent right. But right. so, so it begs the question: Libra or Amazon still isn't in this space. But you, you got to imagine they're thinking about it. You have to imagine they, they're thinking about they it. They have to be. Um, they, although healthcare is another area they're thinking yeah, about. But yeah. talk about Libra then. Again, Mark's testifying. All these payment providers left it. What is mm-hmm. your assessment of, so, of that as a competitor? And also, why did all the payments processors leave it? So Libra, I think, tried to create an entire new financial services payments infrastructure mm-hmm. network. And and I think they didn't understand, in some respects, the regulatory aspect of it. Yeah. You know, the first thing they got asked in the first testimony was about the things I've been talking about, about the anti-money laundering. Sure. About knowing your client. 
about the audit trail, about how they're going to make sure that it's real people on the system Mm -hmm. using it for real purchases for legitimate reasons. Mm -hmm. Number two, they introduced a whole new currency with a whole new board in Switzerland that's going to be some basket of a bunch of different currencies where it's not a stable value. It actually could fluctuate based on there. Mm -hmm. But of course, they're going to create some yield component to it. It was just so complex that they were trying to invent a new currency. A new currency. A new currency without a central bank, with no governing rules. And it sounded like to most of the people in Washington, and, 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 I, and I understand this, it sounded like, like this, is, this is a completely unregulated, untenable currency that's going to sit in Switzerland that we're going to have no ability to regulate right. for a company that we're not sure how good they are at but protecting people's Facebook privacy. Facebook isn't the leader of this. Uh, Gary. I, who is the leader of it? <laughs> They're not. It was a Facebook announcement. Let us announcement. assure you. It was I know. a Facebook announcement. But you know, that was, they, made, they made, went to great pains to talk about how they're partnering with everybody. Well, I, I, I think that the general perception was. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it is the and, perception. And the people working on it that are drawing salaries, yeah. I think they're More drawing salaries from, from Facebook. Facebook. So, so tell me why you—okay, and then the payments— people moved out. Why did that happen? Well, I I think that the traditional payment people Mm -hmm. thought that initially because of Facebook's enormous reach— That they could get in there and sell. That they had—that they sort of had to be there. They won, like, how can I allow this new-fangled, potentially global payment system with a new currency, with a new settlement system, how can I let it go without me? Mm -hmm. And then as the— regulatory landscape changed and the momentum changed, they all sort of said, ooh, this is really not going to infringe upon my core business. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to what I do well and do it well and see Mm -hmm. what happens later. And I'll be in whatever wallet there is or whatever. So in many respects, we thought that was really encouraging that this was a concession that the digital wallet is coming. Mm -hmm. That the digital payment system is coming. That the system that we have today in the United States is going to change. The Mm -hmm. fact that every major payment partner was part of the original press release, Mm -hmm. and now they're all backing out. I think they all conceded that, look, a digital wallet is coming to the United States. Right. But the question is who runs that digital wallet and who controls that digital wallet. Yeah. And and look, we would love to be the backbone for a consortium digital wallet. So that would be on a Samsung device or an an Apple device. We don't care. Apple device, Google device, Hoyos device. I mean, I'm not going to say Facebook alone, but Amazon and Facebook and the others. Why do they want to have this? Well, at the end of the day, what they want Mm -hmm. is they want that frictionless payment system. Right. So— if you look at, you know, whether it be any of these companies, they still have a huge cost in swipe fees and transaction fees. Mm-hmm. So every time you're hitting a credit card today in the system, right. they are paying some percent right. of the sale Amazon for the whoever. credit card yeah. processing. Mm-hmm. So what they're thinking, and I and I happen to agree with this, at some point in the future, if I can control the money and I can directly transfer money from your account to me, the provider of the service or the good, mm-hmm. with, with in a frictionless basis, mm-hmm. 
I can cut, you know, anywhere from 1% to 3% out, depending on what the credit card is, depending on my, my relationship. And that 1% to 3% is a huge right. percent of my margin. So, or I can offer it back to the, to the, the ultimate customer, customer in lower pricing. So that makes sense for Amazon. Because mm-hmm. that's who you really do have so many right. transactions. You don't have as many transactions with Facebook. And it does also sort of make sense for Apple because you do a lot of transactions using your phone. Well, think about, think so about why, the world. So why of, has he done this? Why has Facebook done this from your perspective? I don't know why. Because they, they had a I, phone I really and then they didn't have a phone. I really don't know why they did it except this is my – this is Gary Cohn's point of view, personal right. point of view. Look, I, I think that they saw their business model mm-hmm. and what their business model was and their business model – was more about garnering information about you mm-hmm. and using that information to, in essence, monetize it, either mm-hmm. directly or indirectly. Sure. And so to the extent they could get in the payment rail system know a lot more. and see what you're buying mm-hmm. outside of Facebook, they would have better information mm-hmm. to pinpoint advertisements to or send direct ridiculous ins- amount of information. Right. They would just have a better information sure. flow. The way Alibaba, more like in, yeah. in China and other places where this is all integrated. I try to explain to people in China, I'm like, it's all of them it's together. All it's right. all together and they are they have lack like regulatory yeah. schematics. Like, yeah. I mean, you would have to take like five major companies in the United States, put them together so the, to create that. So the idea is there's, for you guys, there's space for someone else. Especially with the distrust of tech companies. We we think there's unbelievable space because we don't believe anyone has actually entered this space. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we think that people have done little 10% or sure. 5% of it. So there, there are people that have sort of Square. the peer-to-peer payments. Right. And there's Venmo. people that have, you know, the, the credit card, yeah, a Venmo. People that have the, the, the credit card processing side of the uh, of the payment. Mm-hmm. And there's people that have the FX part. And mm-hmm. there's people that are trying to be in the crypto custodial business. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there's segments of what we're doing all mm-hmm. over, but we don't believe there's anyone that's put this together in a digital box mm-hmm. with the regulatory compliance and the biometrics and the insurance and the biometrics. Right. Okay. So one of the things that when we're talking about this is the power of tech companies. You brought a lot of tech companies public. So how do you assess the landscape? Because one of this, the issues of Facebook being in this is uh, overreach, constant mm-hmm. overreach, constant mm-hmm. power grabbing. Um, how do you look at, you know, as you, you came up with these companies, you know all these leaders. Um, I ran into a ton when as you were taking them public. What do you think the landscape is now? Is it is it is it too much? You know, there's now this scrutiny, a question of regulatory. You were in the White House. Would talk about that a little bit. So, the technology industry and technology as a whole is still very much alive and very well. Mm-hmm. In, 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 no, in, in some way, driving. Do, it's, it's driving. Their I mean, shares are going to rise this week. Yeah, we, 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 we can't deny that they're mm-hmm. thriving. Is there more competition in certain segments than there ever has been? Of course. You know, this is, this is the natural evolution of industries aging. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get first mover advantage, mm-hmm. but then there's people that become copycats and try and copy you. You know, look at, look at the digital streaming space. Mm-hmm. You know, Netflix had a huge head start on everyone, and now literally everyone is going to 
do a digital streaming business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's going to be this huge fight for content in there. You know, you got the Uber Lyft situation. So, you know, okay, if ride and ride sharing is good, you know, I'm not going to let them be by themselves. And there was clones or copycats all over the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to run that business consistently, you sort of have to provide a global product for your clients. Mm-hmm. So, look, I have no doubt that the technology that we have become accustomed to having in our life is here for the rest of our, our lives. Mm-hmm. And it's going to get better, not worse. The important thing to me is many of these companies have to prove that they can become profitable and they have a really sustainable business model. Mm -hmm. And they can't just invest in growth forever. Mm -hmm. Like that's an interesting way to start your business. And I understand for many years you have to grow critical mass and you have to grow critical scale. Investors like you guys and venture capitalists. Well I think it's promoted a lot by yeah, look, it was promoted by investors at Goldman Sachs, but mm-hmm. it was much more promoted by the venture, venture capitalists. capitalists. And All the, of you. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the group of, of, of investors. High-growth investors. High-growth investors willing to go in the A round, and if they put money in the A round and the B round was higher, it made sense for them to keep putting in higher and higher. Mm-hmm. And I think recently we've, we, we've come to that sort of realization that— the private market pricing may not be in line with the public market pricing. Mm-hmm. And that's going to force people to rethink how values of companies grow versus profitability of companies. So what does that mean? Like, look at the WeWork thing that just happened. You know, <laughs> I mean, what, what did you think as an ex-investment banker? Jesus. Well, look, WeWork, I always thought was a tough, tough, tough situation. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe I just came at it from a regulatory mm-hmm. lens or a regulatory landscape. Mm-hmm. But when you're taking long-term assets, which is they were taking long-term leases or buying buildings and then renting them out on short terms, mm-hmm. that to me is a complete mismatch asset liability. Right. If you were running a bank like that, your regulator would shut you down. Yes, yes. 100%. So, you know, to me, it was a, it was a very strange way to run a business, mm-hmm. especially— on a leverage factor. Like you right. can run a business with an asset liability mismatch as long as you have no leverage in the system. Mm-hmm. They had a complete asset liability mismatch and enormous leverage in the system. So how so, did it get so far? Just to, just you know this new cram down is just an, the most astonishing cram down in history. Yeah, uh, but I And weird too because they So is it a cram down or is it just the reality of what it oh, was it's always the reality. worth? Wait, I think we, it's just, we, we kept saying 8 billion. Yeah, I, I think it's the reality of what it was always worth. Right. So how I, does that I, I think we should talk about the inflated the inflated valuation right. of Certain investors that put in money that, that wanted to just name keep, it, Gary. I just, We're going to talk just, about naming it in a just second. Keep, just keep just keep ramming the value up, right? Because right. they had they, it was in their own interest. So to, is that period over? Do you feel like I mean because you know that's what Silicon Valley's been using. You know, getting high on its own fumes has been the sort of formula. So I think in many respects, if you're a company that is not making money at mm-hmm. the time that the valuations for private companies in growth stage in the private market has to change somewhat. And w- but change how? What do you mean? I, I just think that the private investors are overvaluing these mm-hmm. companies pre-profitability. 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 And so they'll come down and see if they have an economic model. Yes. What if they don't have an economic model? Look, if they don't have an economic model, they're not going to survive. Right. They're Uber. just not going to survive. Same thing. Because I ultimately, they're going to run out of the ability to raise new cash. At the right price. Look, yeah. WeWorks is a typical example of we ran out of ability to raise new cash. Mm-hmm. So they, they, in a oversimplified term, 
They took as much cash out of the private market as they could. Mm -hmm. They tried to take money out of the public market. The public market wisely said no. Mm -hmm. So they had to go back to the only market available, but they had to do it at a completely right. new repricing. Well, they said no because they read the S-1. Anyway, yeah. we're here. <laughs> we like to read S-1s, Gary. Wow. Anyway, we're here with Gary Cohn. He's a former chief economic advisor to President Trump. We're going to talk about that when we get back and a little bit about tech regulation um, when we return. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. We're here with Gary Cohen. He was the former chief economic advisor to President Trump. Uh, he also was was a big executive at Goldman Sachs. So, Gary, we're going to talk about President Trump now a little bit. But first, I want to talk about tech regulation. I'm going to give you a okay. break. Tech regulation. Oh, we're going to talk about IPOs. We're going to. Like IPOs okay. and tech regulation. Okay, where, where did the IPO market go? You're going to have to answer a no, no, question. I, I, it's, it's, we're going to get to it. But talk okay. about IPOs first. Where are we? Because it looks like, given we work pullback, Uber's down, mm -hmm. the question whether Palantir and, um, mm -hmm. and Airbnb. Talk about tech IPOs. Where are we? So I think we're the market itself, and we've seen this before. Mm -hmm. And you and I, unfortunately, have been around long enough, or fortunately been around long enough, that we've seen these ebbs and flows in the IPO market. We're now at a stage in the economy, in the sort of unpredictability in the economy, where companies that do not have profitability and are not clear on when they will have profitability are being punished by the capital markets. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that's wrong. In fact, I'm going to go I'm going to go further. I mm -hmm. I don't disagree with that. Right. I think that you that the idea that you can take a company that does not have a clear path to profitability and can't tell you when or if they're going to be profitable mm -hmm. and bring them public because they need operating capital because they've tapped all of the capital they can out of the mm -hmm. private markets mm -hmm. and expect to do it at a higher level than the last private round and then expect the stock to trade up. 
I think we're at a time where that doesn't make sense and is not going to make sense. So what happens to investors and banks then in this? Because that's always been the sort of the up, up, up and to the left. Yeah, I I think we're to the point now where management teams of technology companies as well as other companies Mm -hmm. are going to have to think more about the trade-off between growth and profitability. Mm -hmm. Like, everyone wants growth. Everyone wants the company to get bigger. Mm -hmm. And there is a time where companies should be reinvesting all of their proceeds into into Mm -hmm. growth. But to have no net earnings and then just continue to invest in growth and say, well, we don't know if and when we'll get profitable, I don't think that's a public company today. Because, look, the public markets, when I grew up, we used to know how to put a multiple on earnings. Mm-hmm. Now we're trying to put a multiple on Correct. losses that we don't know when they're going to turn into earnings. Mm-hmm. And I think the public market's trying to—it's not trying. It is sending a message. Look, we're not at a stage in the economy where we believe economic growth is going to be so great and we're so bullish on the economy that we're willing to buy your company now that has never made money and we're not sure when it's going to make money because we think the economy is going to grow so much that you'll be profitable. I think it's the Amazon disease. It worked like the, the, the way the Apple disease infected Silicon Valley. Like, we're all going to be Steve Jobs. There was only one. In Amazon, there was only one. And they managed to find a business because their core business still has yeah, but challenges. Yeah, but the AWS right. business right. has always been the jewel inside of Amazon. But it wasn't for a long time. And it was. And it was sort yeah. of soon, yep. soon, soon. But if yep. they didn't get that AWS, same thing with Google many years but ago. But to, to his credit— mm-hmm. You know, in Amazon, he always talked about being profitable. I'm going. Yeah. To, we're we're going to be profitable. Right. You know, it was always yes, few quarters. It was always a few quarters away. Mm-hmm. It was always a few quarters he away. He did say it a lot. He he did say. And you he know, found the business. He found the business. I'm going to be profitable. I know I have to make money. I'm a quarter or two or three away from profitability. Right. It wasn't. I don't know if or when. Right. Will right. be profitable. So that's critical. So yeah. in that part, one of the things, AWS, people talk about spinning it off because there's all kinds of issues. Break up big tech, regulation of big tech. Where do you, how do you, you were just in Washington, you were right in the middle of mm-hmm. it. Now, the right has an opinion about bias. The left has an opinion about damage, hate speech and things like that. And, and then there's, are they too big? There's right. all kinds of things going on. And there's all kinds of discussions on lots of levels, whether it's charging them, uh, fining them like the FTC did, or whether it's regulating them, or whether state's attorney generals gets involved, like lawsuits, or it's breakup. Mm-hmm. How, give me your sort of big picture look. So at here, here's my big picture view. So this idea of being too big, I don't really get. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really don't get. So, so, so it's not like they're too big and they have pricing power. Mm-hmm. Um, the The idea of too big back it's in the, the antitrust yes. days yeah. where the standard oils, mm-hmm. you know, they controlled all of the right. gas stations and therefore they had monopolistic pricing powers. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not a big Facebook user. Right. Maybe I don't use it at all, mm-hmm. but I don't think you pay anything to go on Facebook. No. So to say that it has monopolistic pricing powers. Well, it's a new kind of monopoly, but go okay. ahead. All okay. Right. But but so I on don't believe I don't believe that they're too big. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that the barriers to entry today, they may be difficult because they have such huge followings. But these are companies that are, you know, less than 20 years old. These are brand new companies in the world. Mm -hmm. Here is what I do believe, and this is where I think the issue is. So historically in the United States, if you were a company that held personal data or information on individuals, Mm -hmm. 
the government felt obligated to regulate you because you had very important data. Right. So take the banking, take the banks that I grew up in, right. take the rating agencies, take the banks, take the take everyone, take the credit card companies. If you're holding personal data on me and you're holding information about what I earn, what I make, where my social security number is, what my debt is, what I spend, what I have, that you have a high burden. And therefore, the government put regulations on me to make sure that I was protecting that data and I was protecting my relationship with my client. And I think that's fair to be regulated. Mm -hmm. If you're a technology company today and you're in the business of gathering data Mm -hmm. on your clients and using it or selling it, I believe that you've crossed the threshold into having to be regulated on how you collect Mm -hmm. data, how you keep data, how you safeguard data, and what you use it for. No no differently than a bank. Like, every bank is regulated on how they do that. Every car company is regulated on safety. You know, we're talking about KYC, AML, you know. This is know your customer. Who's my customer? What are they doing? Like, if I'm selling know my customer, that to me— So how should they be regulated? So, so you don't believe in breakup, although the fact of the matter is there hasn't been a new social network for a decade. There hasn't been a new search engine yeah, there, ever. By the way, before 20 years ago, there was never a social yes, network. Yes, but now there's just one. Okay. Now there's just one. A okay. lot of people would say you can't you can't create the, the fact that they're so big. I was just with a, a very well-known venture captain, Ben Horowitz. He goes, I wouldn't put any money into social networks. Why would I? Facebook will slap me down and kill me. Like That sounds the, pretty— the, the question is, do we need a second social network? I would assume competition would might be a safer. What, what, they might might they might push safety. If you have a different YouTube, maybe they'd be interested in protecting children more. Okay, you know what I mean. There's all kinds of societal pains. I, that, I, I don't disagree with that. That I, aren't I, about customer harm, but it is about customer. It's about societal harm versus customer harm or rival harm or something else. But then we're we're, we're sort of recreating a new sort of America where. We believe that people aren't smart enough to take care of themselves, and we have to regulate everything. I'm not a big regulation guy, even though I think if you if you got my personal data, I want you regulated. Right. And I think the way that banks are regulated is, is, is totally fine. Right. So if if I'm on a website or if I'm an app and they have all my personal data, they're responsible to protect my personal data, and if they're selling it— that's not right. I need to know that that's their business. What about model. the damage of hate speech? Or if you can't, if you can't quantify it very easily, but there is. Come on, you're right. You were right in the middle of the no, Trump administration. No, I, I, I wish we could regulate that. But again, we have a we have a First Amendment that allows freedom of speech. Don't you have a? Ch- no, it it says Congress shall make no law. It doesn't say Facebook shall make okay. no law. There's nothing I, about Facebook in the Constitution. Uh, but face again, and I don't. And, I, and I find myself in a difficult. They're free speech principles, but the actual amendment does not say. I that. find myself in a funny position f- defending them, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, they're they're not putting it up. They are purely. Maybe we should treat them as media companies. Maybe they're—well, then they shouldn't they be regulated like a utility? I mean, it's just— They're purely a utility that allows other people to do that. If we're going to put them up and start telling them to regulate what goes up, Mm -hmm. I think we're in a dangerous— So how do they get regulated? Because they're not a media company quite. They're not a utility. I think they need to get regulated as a data company. So a privacy bill. A privacy bill. I think think what they do with the data— how they use their data. And fining them. And making sure that they're protecting my data, they're using it for the right purposes, mm-hmm. and they're not exploiting my data. Right. I do think there needs to be a more fulsome discussion on 
this hate speech and what they yeah. what the responsibility because if they're not going to moderate the the content if they're not going to pay you were talking about the real costs they aren't bearing the real costs of, of removing hate speech you know the or malevolent players like the russians or whatever they're not bearing the cost of actually and, and, doing and look do i personally think that they should not allow the russians on there they're, they're not Yes, I, I would love for them, the Russians, never to be able to interfere in our election. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how you do that because, in some respects, if you create rule one, two, and three, mm-hmm. they'll just do rule four. The Russians will do four, five, and six. Mm-hmm. And then you do rule but four, five, the, and six. So isn't that the point that we keep doing those? Well, I, I'm not sure you're ever going to win. Mm-hmm. So if it's an open platform right, and open access— Look, unless you're going to go, and maybe this is where we should mm-hmm. go, and maybe this fits in exactly with what mm-hmm. I think on the digital wallet, that you should have a, a, a know your client. Yeah. So, like, I should have a digital imprint of my client. Yes. I should know you actually exist. That, by the way, I'm okay with that. If, if to open a Facebook account, I have to prove that I actually exist, and I only have one, mm-hmm. so I can't open bogus accounts, right. and I can't spoof with accounts. By the way, I'm okay with that. So if the government comes out with a rule and says, look, you can have any social media account you have. You can have one, though, mm-hmm. and you're going to be biometrically or digitally attached mm-hmm. to that account. Well, of course, that opens up a whole raft of things if it's a global company you know, at the same time. But at the same time, you could make exceptions in certain countries. You can make exceptions. Well, I mean, the rules are the rules. Right. Once well, you start making exceptions, you're on a slippery slope. The rules here are different than the rules in the Philippines are different from the rules. I, I understand, but yeah. it, but but it's one global platform. So right. then someone in the Philippines or someone in Russia is posting something that appears in the United States. You can't have two sets of rules. You can't have an unlevel why playing not? field. We have two sets of rules every we have twenty sets of rules across the world. Well, that's why it's that's why I think this is so hard to regulate. Yeah. So what do you imagine is gonna happen? Is there gonna be a privacy bill? I mean, and also then there's the conser- how do you look at the conservative idea that it's biased? That's their whole thing. That's Ted Cruz mouthing off everything. Uh, you know, I there's no proof whatsoever. I, I, I don't believe that. I, mm-hmm. I, I believe that everyone has equal and, and open access to these platforms. Yeah. You know, like— so Why the complaints? And, you were right, and Trump does it all the time. President Trump does it all the time. I think there's complaints about every form of media, too. Mm-hmm. By the way, I don't think they're unique to new, tech, new, new technology, digital assets. There's, there's complaints about the written press. Mm-hmm. There's complaints about the, the TV it's press. It's the same. It's all the same. It's not the it's same. There's no kind of—come on. The, the amplification and the weaponization and, and the virality of it is very different. I know Mark was making this point, but it's not like—it doesn't have the same places it goes. It goes everywhere in a, in a digital platform in the way it doesn't. It's a very different medium. Well, it may be. You know, it may be. But I, I just think, like, either we have freedom of the press and we have freedom of expression, mm-hmm. which I think are real basic covenants of this country. Now, I'm, I'm not sure where that ends right. in, well, in the social media space. I don't think it's binary. I just yeah. finished a conference. It's yeah. not binary. It's complex. Mm-hmm. And we have to have complex discussions about yeah, it. it is. What do you think the impact of them have been? You, you work for a man who uses Twitter as a, in a very— negative way that creates discord. Um, you don't even need the Russians at this point because of the way it is. How did you square that? I, look, I, I never really try to pay attention to the Twitter account, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. It, 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 to me, it is what it is. You know, 
you, you can try and get someone to change their behavior. You're not mm-hmm. going to get a 70-year-old man to change his behavior. Right. There were clearly people that felt like it had enormous impact on mm-hmm. the base, and, and people liked it. Mm-hmm. But my objective every day was to go in and do my job and serve the country in the best way I could possibly do it. Right. And not get distracted by sort of what I would call the noise in the system. Well, is it just noise now, or is it not? Be honest. You know, I mean, like, it, it has impact. I, I think that Twitter is more noise than anything, in my opinion. I, I you know, I, I don't, I don't read it. It's not, it doesn't come up on my phone all day long. Right. But, um, but, you know, but it's, it, I know that it, people hang on every word because it's their job to hang on every word. No, I get that. But when you govern by it, which it's being used as a governing tool, that doesn't have more responsibility. I, you know, when you say you govern by it, I, I it has happened four or five times in the past month. Where he says something, and then the government is doing something else, and then they change policies. Look, it, it, it's his form of expression. Okay. It's his form of expression. How inside, I know you don't want to talk a lot about Trump, but how do you justify that sitting inside? Do you think it's negative for this country to have that kind of anger being perpetrated all the time? Look, I am not a fan mm-hmm. of expressing government policy on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't think it's the way we should be expressing government policy. I think we're a better country than that. I think that we should we have plenty of outlets and plenty of ways for the government as a whole, and this is at all levels, to express their views and express their policy. And fighting out um, political views and aspirations in, in governing on Twitter is— not in anyone's best interest. I, I, I just think it demeans the country as a whole. Um, I don't, so I don't, how do you fix that? Can you fix I, that? I don't know if you can fix it. It is sort of the reality of where we are today. I mean, it will be fixed when people stop reading it, and it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. I mean, I know, there, I know there's— Oh, it's the president of the United States. Come on. No, but there, there, there's people out there that say, look, it has less impact today than it did three sure. or four years ago. Sure. And, and, and people are less attuned to it today than they were three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And there's people that have created indices off of it, and mm-hmm. how, how much does it matter, how much does it not matter. Mm-hmm. And I think it matters less today than it did in the beginning, because in the beginning it was so novel. Mm-hmm. Now it's not nearly as novel as it, as it once was. Mm-hmm. But but it, it, look, it's not just the president. Don't don't make this just about the president. Okay. I mean, er, every party, every candidate, everyone tweets all day long. Sure. And we have become a tweeting society of throwing things against the wall to see what the reaction is. Mm-hmm. It's 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 sort of the new test marketing world. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll just tweet it out there and see what happens. Do you think it's just that? Wow. No, I think it's bigger. I think it's bigger than that. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. I mean, you were very successful in getting the tax bill through and and everything else. But the criticism you got was not saying something, not speaking up yourself during the Charlottesville thing. How do you look back on that now? Well, I look back on it the same way I did at the time. A, people shouldn't assume I didn't speak up. Mm -hmm. There might have been very, very intense conversations. Okay, what did you say? There might have been very intense conversations right. between me and the president mm-hmm. during that time. Okay. Uh, face-to-face, personal, mm-hmm. in a room together. We, we, we may have had conversations where I told the president exactly what I thought mm-hmm. about conversations and about comments of the time. Public comments. Uh, things that he had said publicly mm-hmm. at the time and the, the, the things that I, I, I did not agree with. And I was very truthful and very mm-hmm. forthright and very sincere with the president on, on what I felt 
about what was going on at the time and in in, in in how healthy or unhealthy it wasn't for our country mm-hmm. to be having these discussions. So where do you imagine this is all going to go then? Because it doesn't. I mean, I know, I do know most a lot of everybody participates in it. He happens to be the troller in chief. I'm going to push you back okay. on that one. But how? Where does it go from here in terms of getting Look, actual I, I, policy? I, I, I won't. I won't argue with you right. that he started it. Right. Right. Okay? I get that. He, he put the ball rolling. Right. But, but where, everyone else. Where does it go from politics and policy? Because now it, it, it infects. You know, it infects this kind of way we speak now. Infects everything. So you're trying to create with your phone. I'll get back to your phone so yeah. you can get off of this. No, um, is is this is very fair conversation? Okay. Good. You're trying to create a really um, a safe way to do things. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in this whole medium being used in a safer way and yes. how and how you're doing. It. And and the fact of the matter is, all the all the breaks are off in this in this space. How do you create, say, trade policy? How do you take it back and have really cogent trade policy or foreign policy or anything else when you're governing? Well, look, my my opinion, <laughs> and like this is my opinion, and people take the other side. Our policy in the United States was not meant to be discussed real-time in public forums. Mm -hmm. Like this idea that we're going to discuss things real-time in public forums, it's impossible to govern that way. Like when I say everyone's to blame, Mm -hmm. everyone's to blame because everyone needs to now walk into a meeting and tweet on the way in, tweet on the way out, Mm -hmm. do a press hit on the way in, do a press hit on the way out, Mm -hmm. say exactly what happened, he said, she said— we have created this real-time media world. Mm-hmm. And, and look, it's 24 hours news networks. Right. It's social media. It's a combination of everything that does not allow the natural governing process to happen. Mm-hmm. And to me, every time we're being distracted by a tweet whether it be on trade policy, mm-hmm. economic policy, immigration policy, social policy. You know, you, you talk about it. Right. We're actually taking away from what could be time spent trying to think about what really should be done. 100%. And because each action deserves an equal and opposite reaction, that's the way the Twitter world feels, that everyone has to respond to everyone else. And it's, it's a bad use of time. So I'm going to end on this. What do you think— uh, has to be done. I talked about the ability, you know, I heard the Zuckerberg speech at Georgetown, and I thought it was quite reductive. He was, it was twitchy and reductive and binary. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the problems with tech is they see everything as a binary. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, delivery is great. Well, what about the economic implications on regular retail? What about the the environmental regulations? Mm -hmm. Google's great. We can search for anything. What about one company being in charge of all our information? They don't want to have these more complex discussions, which is impossible in this twitchy, reductive world. Do you imagine it's going to change? Do you see it evolving? That Mark was saying, you know, eventually, after all this great cost, it will sort itself out. How do you look at it? I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't know. I mean, think of how quickly this has evolved in this country. We are in sort of hyperbolic evolution of real-time communication, real-time media, real-time tweeting, real-time everything in any form possible. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me this is not sustainable. No. It just seems to me it's not sustainable. It's not not productive. Mm -hmm. It's not sustainable. But it also feels to me that we would need some real leadership on trying to figure out how to go back to something Mm -hmm. that seems more 
rational. Who is that and leadership? More, more, I, I don't know who it is, what it is. It might not be one person. Right. It may be lots of people. Mm-hmm. It may be a variety of different people. It, it may be the political community. It may be the business community. Mm-hmm. It may be the not-for-profit community. I don't, it may be a combination of all the above. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, I know the person who can, who can do this. I'm not sure one person can do it. But we have to get back to a more rational, more humble country where we actually try and figure out what's the best thing for the country and how can we be a dominant leader in the world Mm -hmm. and how can we use our resources productively, not in an unproductive way to just fight and bicker Mm -hmm. and, and pick on everything that goes on. And in some respects, the media is going to have to play part of it too. You know, they're going to have to not dissect every word of everything that's said every minute of the day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, 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 look, everyone is guilty. You're There's no one in this country that's not guilty. Words matter. The words don't matter, but that's okay. No, I'll, I'll push back. Wor- words matter. Right. But you know what? People slip up and say things by accident sometimes. Some you people know, do. Some people do. I mean, they, but, but you can't like, just make that be the most important news well, of the think, day. Uh, the yes. policy stuff that well, keeps be, being said redundantly, I, 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 I keeps being said, I get. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, 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 the inside of a lot of this stuff, we have peeled back this onion way too far. Oh, that's a really good way to put it. Last, Very last question, our economy. What's the biggest—you were the national economic advisor. What's the biggest economic challenge we face, and what's the biggest plus— the plus and the negative almost collide today, which is interesting. So when you think where we are and, and what's happened, you know, we got a lot of deregulation done. Mm-hmm. We didn't unregulate. We got to smart regulation in the United States. All right. We got tax reform done, which I know is much more controversial than it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, the Republicans have done a horrible, horrible job of explaining tax reform. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you do I'm going to leave that there, but no, go ahead. we'll leave that there. Um <laughs> We'll, we, I'd love to touch that. Um, but they've done a horrible job. That has stimulated job growth in the United States. We're at 3.5% unemployment, 50-year low. We still have 7 million job openings in the United States. Mm-hmm. So there is more jobs than unemployed people in the United States. So from the basic core economics position, things look great. Consumers keep spending, interest rates keep going down, people that own homes, which unfortunately is not enough people, can keep remortgaging their homes. On the flip side, we keep sending the complete wrong message on capital investment and building new building new new opportunities. And and, and not just factories. You know, CapEx is everything. It's basically property, Mm -hmm. plant, and equipment. But when you go to build property, plant, and equipment today, the first thing you need to buy is steel and aluminum. Mm -hmm. Well, the tax code incentivizes you to buy steel and aluminum, and the tariffs put a 30% tariff on steel and aluminum. It makes absolutely no sense. You wouldn't go do that. Mm -hmm. Then think about so you're not a tariff guy. I'm an anti-tariff guy. <laughs> That's pretty you, – you didn't yeah. need me to come in and tell you no. that. Then you think about the political situation we're in today, and you go to your board. Let's say you're crazy enough to go to your board and say, hey, let's spend $10 billion building out this CapEx. Mm-hmm. And we're going to spend it on, you know, steel, aluminum, people, and da-da. And they go, well, that's kind of crazy because, you know, if – one of the 
very left-leaning Democrats gets in, mm-hmm. well, we don't know what our health care costs are going to be next year. And we don't know how much money we're going to be able to make because maybe they're going to regulate profitability out of business. And we don't know if we'll ever be able to buy back stock. And we don't know what the economy is going to look like. So why would we invest any money in this economy right now? So my, my long-winded answer is saying is the total unpredictability Mm -hmm. of the geopolitical situation, as well as what's going on in trade, Mm -hmm. has taken all of the good things that are going on underneath the economy Mm -hmm. and called them into question. All right, but you you just blame left-leaning Democrats, not not just trade trade policy. No, I said trade and trade. I said and trade. I said those two things, and trade. So how does that wash out? I think we're going to model— Neither of them. We vote for neither side. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what happens? So we're we're in a place where I think the economy is going to continue to be fine, mm-hmm. not great. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be in that sort of muddly 2% growth area. Mm-hmm. Wages are going to sort of stay around this 3% growth area. Mm-hmm. So from an ec- economic point of view, it's going to feel okay. And so the economy is going to feel okay to people. It's, and, and there's jobs available. There are a lot of jobs available in this country, even at sort of a 2% growth and 3% wage growth. And I think that's you know con- going to continue to go on for a couple of years. I'm not in the recession camp. I don't think there's a recession coming. Mm-hmm. I think people that are getting tied up on the inverted yield curve mm-hmm. haven't looked at yield curves of Europe or Japan mm-hmm. or any other part of the world where they're negative and they don't understand the difference in yield between the United States and what's going on in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So you're asking for a centrist, a non-crazy Republican or a not left-leaning Democrat somewhere in the center. Well, look, as you started the whole podcast is I'm a Democrat. Yeah. I'm you, a, who are you supporting? I'm a centrist. Who are you supporting then? Uh, it, not it, Elizabeth it, Warren, I'm guessing. Really? You figured that out? <laughs> Do you dislike her more than the tech people? I can't tell. Uh, you'll have to figure that out yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm guessing. So do you support anybody right now? At this point, I'm learning. I mean, I really am learning. And at do this you point, have a favorite? Do I have? No, at this point, I, I, I have no favorite. At this point, I think, you know, look, the good news is we're 53, 54 weeks away from an election. Mm-hmm. And a lot's going to happen. Yeah. You know, the one thing that we, we do know is in this crazy election cycle, you know, over the last two months— you know who knows what's happened. Who knows what's happened. Who knows who knows where the economy will be. The, you know the the president is in pretty good shape though on the economy. I yeah. mean, don't underestimate how strong the economy is. No, I get and it. how people vote the economy. Yeah. You know I think the president is going to deserve a lot of credit for the economy, the three and a half percent unemployment rate, and what's going on in the U.S. here. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see we'll if see. the crazy balance is out. But but so you're not supporting anybody right now no. yet. Not yet. But you would like to see a more centrist person, I'm guessing, on either side. Look, I would like to see the everything in the country come back to the center. Right. Okay. I would like to see the the, the social media world come back to the center. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see politics come back to the center. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see everything we have come to the center. I, I feel like the country is being forced mm-hmm. to pick a side, mm-hmm. way right or way left. Right. Well, we'll see. Anyway, Gary, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm going to have you back after the election to okay, see what great. happens. Anyway, uh, and I know I, I, you do share that with uh, with tech people about Elizabeth Warren. President Warren, Gary, how do you feel about that? 
what do you <laughs> silent staring <laughs> silent. at me. It's a silent stare. Silent stare. She's actually very compelling in a lot of ways. You should spend time with her. I have. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. That's better than Mark Zuckerberg. Anyway. No, I've, I've, I've spent time with her. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Gary, where can people find you and Hoyos online? They can't buy it yet, right? No, but they can find uh, Hoyos. Just Google Hoyos. Okay. And what about you? Uh, th- I'm not a Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm not a, I'm, a, a I'm nowhere. Yeah. I don't have a social media presence. Oh, wow. You know what? Makes life really easy. I run for office. I enjoy my life. Okay, all right. I enjoy fine. my life. All right, well, I'm just saying, you talk a lot. You want to get center, run for office. I enjoy my life. All right. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our newest podcast, Reset. Just search for it on your podcasting app of choice or tap the link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.